Welcome to the Evolution Exchange Australia podcast. We're bringing together the best technical leaders from across the industry to discuss passions, challenges, and ideas. I'm Mira, and I connect businesses with talented contractors in the Sydney market. Hi, everyone. We are back with another episode of the Evolution Exchange podcast to discuss how to maintain high-performance culture. I'm joined by Stacey Walker from Charter Hall and Adam Becker from Coles Group, who'll be sharing their insights on the topic today. Did you both want to introduce yourselves to kick things off before we jump into the discussion, though? Yeah, sounds good. Thank you, Mira, for having me. Um, as Mira said, my name is Stacey Walker and I'm the head of tenant technology here at Charter Hall. Charter Hall is a property and funds management company. Um, I get to look after all of the technology that supports our employees to make sure that all of the buildings that we have around Australia are filled with really high quality tenants. Um, so the thing that I'm really passionate about, particularly um, in the current circumstances, is how do we um, try and tackle the big picture of climate change as it pertains to the built world. Um, so in a lot of our properties. So that's a bit about me. Thank you. Hi, my name's Adam Becker. I'm uh, I'm senior engineering manager at Cole Supermarkets. Um, there are a number of engineering managers in in, uh, in our group. Uh, my space specifically is online fulfillment. Uh, so everything to do with getting online orders um, from our website and from apps uh, on your phones to your door. Uh, my teams look after uh, all of the software and infrastructure that support that. I've been in the tech space uh, for more than 20 years, a uh, bit of a veteran, uh, and I'm <laughs> particularly particularly passionate about um, people's well-being in the workplace uh, and, and building uh, psychologically safe cultures uh, and uh, high-performing teams, which, uh, which we're here to talk about today. Yeah, perfect. Thank you both so much. And we'll, as you mentioned, Adam, we'll get into that topic today. So I guess starting off, it'd be good to look at what a high performance culture is and what it's not from both of your points of view. If Adam, you wanted to start. Yeah, certainly can. Um, I think one of the things that I've encountered in, in my time, um, particularly in the technology industry, which is pretty much where I've worked exclusively, uh, that there are kind of different ideas about, about what this means. Um, and I think the the mistaken idea uh, is when it centers around teams working particularly hard um, or working long hours or pushing themselves to to extreme lengths in order to to meet deadlines or to uh, deliver against expectations. Um, I think the thing that I've learned most specifically is that the high performing teams or high performing individuals work out how to deliver great outcomes uh, and, and they work out what they need to do to do that. Uh, and I think the ones that, that do it best, be they individuals or teams, uh, work out the balance between getting the outcome and also looking after themselves and looking after their teams. I couldn't agree more, Adam. It's um, it's really about the collective mindset, isn't it? The values, the behaviours, the practices within the team that tends to foster that exceptional performance or outcome, but it starts with the individual. Um, so, you know, some of those characteristics that you want to see are, I know it sounds a bit counterintuitive, but just resilience. So mm. actually when you, you can't reach that outcome as a team, you can learn and grow from that experience and pivot and adapt because we all know technology is moving at an extremely rapid pace, particularly now given the, mm. um, 
you know, prolific arrival of generative AI tools like ChatGPT and Google's Bard. Um, it's, you know, how can we have the right culture and mindset to adapt to almost anything that's thrown at us, not work out how to deliver a particular outcome by, you know, killing ourselves doing it. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think um, a skill set that is particularly important for leaders, but also for, you know, individuals within within high-performing teams, you touched on that idea there of, of pivoting and kind of responding to, to the environment or the circumstances. And I think being able to, to work within ambiguity uh, and not necessarily having everything planned out or detailed or known uh, is is a core skill set for being able to to perform at a really high level. Um, and the leaders that I feel like I've seen succeed the most and even team members that I've seen succeed the most, really, they're happy to sit in that ambiguity uh, and not necessarily have to have all the answers straight away. Yeah, I could not agree more. Um, being okay with not knowing how you're going to tackle a problem, I think, is one thing. Um, I think when we're talking about high-performance teams, knowing where you're heading is the really important part. And I think that comes into it in terms of strong leadership and setting vision and setting purpose. Um, and as long as you've got a vision and purpose and a psychologically safe group of people who can cultivate the environment for everybody to shine in, then I think you're going to get to the outcome one way or the other. I'd be interested to hear more about setting vision and purpose. You sound yeah. like someone that has done a bit of that from the way you articulated that. Really? Um, I think yeah. we could always do better at that. Um, you know, it's a fine balance between, particularly if you've got um, a diverse team, um, particularly around diversity of experience, how do you um, set and purpose and vision that gives the more senior and experienced members of your team enough latitude to craft their own way of getting there? But how do you give enough direction to those in the team who are not necessarily as experienced and you don't leave them feeling a bit out of their depth? Um, mm. And again, that's just about creating this culture in a team where you all know each other's strengths and weaknesses um, and that's okay so that when you know we're looking at driving the vision and setting the strategy, you know who's sort of taking a lead in the room but when you want somebody who's keeping you to time or who's actually picking up and filling the gaps when you're going crazy with your strategic thinking you might look to to others in the room and I think one of the exercises that we tend to do on a semi-regular basis is continue to check in with our team and be grateful for the skills and capabilities that they bring because sometimes we forget, actually, we really rely on this person for X or Y. So actually having a forum to bring that out and be grateful for that is really important in you know, celebrating celebrating that success. That's part of generating that high performance. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. One thing that, sorry, Mara, I think you were going to no, ask you a question there. Um, one thing that, that occurred to me when, when you were describing the... Um, you know the, the differences in in the teams um that one of the things that i've found is that there is kind of no one size fits all with with this sort of thing um and it can be easy to get caught up in frameworks for high performance or um i spent a lot of time in the in the software engineering space and, and agile would be a, a word that 
yourselves or I many of your listeners um, would be familiar with. And I've encountered lots of organizations and lots of people that uh, adhere really strictly to doing agile a certain way or doing project management a certain way, or I guess in terms of what we're talking about here, structuring teams a certain way, running teams a certain way, thinking about how to get high performance a certain way and trying to apply a framework or a methodology. Um, and while I think those things are helpful, um, one thing that I that I really personally believe in is is just the kind of the nuance of, of the situation. Um, you know, the given team, the given individuals, what the makeup of that group looks like as a cohesive whole, and then what is the best way to get the best out of them, or what is the best way to to help them deliver the outcomes that they need to deliver, and and being really flexible with that. You're right. It's not a cookie cutter approach, and and can even vary day to day in your own team depending on you know, who's up for the day or who's down yeah. for the day. We yeah. all tend to have those cycles where, you know, somebody's firing and, and you have to ad- adapt and move and it's the sum of the parts rather than the value of the individuals. Um, so even as we're going through, you know, our hiring practices, you can sometimes look at an individual and go, on their own, they're individually brilliant but can you put them into a team environment where actually you're filling the space of what's missing in the team? And that can really change who you're looking for. And I think you've always got to think about it as an ecosystem, your team, rather than just, you know, five or 10 or 50 brilliant individuals. Mm. Yes, that sort of leads, I guess, on to the next question. You know, just gone a bit into it there, but it'd be good to dive in a bit a bit deeper there, but what's the difference between high-performing team members and high-performing teams um, and how do they sort of complement or detract from each other? Adam, you posed this question and I can do the basic what's the definition, but I'm guessing you are driving at something else, so I'm going to let you go first. <laughs> <laughs> Off you go, Adam. <laughs> this one stopped me a little bit. Yeah, for sure. I, th- I think... Why, why did I pose this question? Why did I pose it this way? I, I think that getting back to that, some of the parts that that you were articulating a second ago, I, I think that's that's how you get to a high performing team, um, and it's 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 with the culture that that you articulated earlier, and um, the the vision and kind of the, the working towards a common goal, and people bringing different strengths and different weaknesses in, into that unit. Um, that that help it to become a high performing team with the right sort of guidance, and I think I articulated the difference between an individual and the team from a high performance point of view because sometimes I think, in fact, I've worked with people who who, who have thought that if you throw five really high performing people in a room, that you're going to get this amazing outcome, um, and I actually think the opposite is is true, um, and that. Uh, if you have people who are all on the A game and who are all super clever and know everything about the problem space, et cetera, et cetera, you, you don't have diversity of thought. You don't have diversity of experience and opinion. Um, and it's it's less likely um, that they will work together in, in a really complementary way that, than if you have kind of different people and different personalities. Um, sometimes I've encountered, you know, this idea of hero culture. Uh, and and having a you know a single person or, or kind of the point person that that p- people in the organisation go to to say that person will get it done that person will get it done let's give it to them yeah I love that and it, it reminds me of someone that I I really enjoyed working with when I was back at MYB 
uh, who was quite senior in his craft uh, and was a high performer and consistently was was regarded as someone whose whose output uh, was exceptional. Um, but one of his key focuses was uplifting others in the team, and and you know lo- looking at the other engineers, be they seniors or mid levels or, or juniors, and finding ways to come alongside them and coach them and, and make them better at what they do, which not only is great for them and for their career development, but it's great for the team as a whole. Um, so I think you're spot on. Yeah, I love that. I've, I've got a just out of the blue question, if we're okay to throw, throw them out there while we're chatting, Adam, is, um, oh, now I've totally forgotten my question. We were talking about complimenting, detracting. No, you keep going and then I'll, I'll remember it and I'll throw it out. Okay. It. All right, what steps can be taken to continuously motivate, engage our team members to sustain a high-performing culture. Oh, that's that's a good one. You know, in the particularly in the agile world, we talk about a team when it's forming, and then when it's storming, and then when it's norming, and then when it's performing. Like everything in nature, in economics, it, everything goes in cycles. So I guess the question is, how do you continue to motivate a team to keep performing, but performing in a sustainable way that, like we said before, is not going to burn your team out, that keeps mm. them motivated in the long term. Um, so, Adam, I'm going to throw to you on that one. You're going to throw to me. All right. Um, the One of the key ways that, that I kind of go about doing the leadership thing, um, leading people and leading teams of people, um, is actually starting from a position of their well-being, um, which takes some people by surprise sometimes. Um, but I tend to ask people how they're going and really mean it when I ask the question um, and talk to them about their environment uh, to the degree that they're, they're happy to and feel safe to, but their environment, their family, their friends, um, their health, their sleep, their workload. Um, I, I guess coming from that, and, and it's because I genuinely care that I ask those questions, but I've also found that when people feel like you do care and the organization cares about their well-being and how they're doing that actually leads to a, a high level of engagement and, and which in turn leads to that high performance that focus on the purpose and the goal um, that focus on the outcomes that that we're trying to achieve as an organization or as a team um, so it's not it's not a sneaky way to to motivate people um, it, it is something that that I'm genuinely genuinely very passionate about um, but it has this added benefit, I find, of motivating people when you actually show them that you care about them. Yeah. And now I remember my earlier question now that you're talking oh. about that. So I want one more question and then I'll actually start contributing. Everybody, like we're all busy, right? And we all have, there's more work than there are hours in the day to do yeah. the work. And I was going to ask, do you find that in your teams, are you coaching people or sort of leading people to, to ask themselves, What's more important, this task or this relationship? Because sometimes I'm seeing people having to make that decision and prioritise one over the other. And I see it a lot that people prioritise the task over the relationship. And I wonder whether there's anything that we can do as leaders to give them permission to say sometimes it's better to drop the task and to and to for the relationship to take the priority. Do you see that, Adam? Yeah, I think I think I do see it. Um, and I I would always 
value the relationship over the task, me personally. Um, and in terms of coaching team members around that, I think if if the completion of the task or if push, if pushing for, for the task or the outcome would come at the expense of a relationship or, or you know that it would damage a relationship to some extent and you can call that out, my suggestion would be to find another way. Um, find another way to complete the task. What's it, you know, think about it in a, in a lateral way. Um, but I, but I would always encourage people to, to prioritize the relationship and, and maintaining that, um, over everything else. Yeah. And I think I, I would absolutely agree with you, but I actually think that's something that I've come to later in my career. Mm, mm. I was very goal oriented. I was, you know, raised to, I, I play sport and you've got to go after what you need. Um, and it's almost at the expense of all others. So when you translate that into the workforce and, you know, you're new into the workforce, the task and the deadline of that task tends to be your focus and priority. And it's almost like I feel leaders in the organization need to change the narrative to say to particularly new people coming into our organization or into an industry or into a team, that actually, if you have to make a priority call, we want you to prioritize the person and not the task. Um, and that's certainly something I've been thinking about recently is how can I give people permission to actually that task can be late, but it's really hard to repair a relationship. Mm. Mm. I, I, I so agree with, with the sentiment. It makes me wonder how many leaders of organizations would be happy to, to kind of make that statement and, and set that culture from the top. Um, you know, I've, I've had some, some great experiences in terms of organizations that I've worked for and I, I've referenced MYB previously and I'll reference it again. The, the, the culture there was incredible, the psychological safety, the, um, the openness to innovate and try things and experiment and potentially fail. Um, but specifically around relationships and, and just prioritizing not just what we're doing, but how we're doing it. And, and the how being about how you treat one another, um, how you treat customers, what your interactions are like. Um, and I'm, I'm pretty fresh at Coles, but I'm experiencing the same thing at Coles. Um, you know, everyone that I've met is so friendly, so welcoming, so warm. They really are, pro like to your point, they're prioritizing the relationship over the task. Um, and, it's, and it's delightful to see. Um, but I'm aware of a lot of places where that's not the case. Yeah. And it'll be interesting to see those organizations that are focused on culture and relationships it's almost like if i can you know boil it down and make it a little bit elementary it's almost like giving up you know your accolades for today to work on the long term just strategic value that you're trying to bring um, i think again i'm lucky at charter hall is we we have an executive committee that do tell us to constantly think long term um, right. And when you're given the permission to think long term, then you do have a little bit of latitude to actually prioritise how you do things, not just what you do. And yeah. I'm, so, yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see how culture shifts over the next few years as people start to work a little bit differently, come back into the office, work hybridly and see how that changes, particularly for um, new people coming into the workforce. I have you know, an 18-year-old, I suspect she's going to be in the workforce soon. So um, what changes is she going to see over the next few years as well? Ah, yeah, that's interesting. I haven't, my, my kids are a bit younger. I haven't even thought about them in the workforce. <laughs> <laughs> Just try to get them through primary school. <laughs> I know that feeling. 
I'm just yeah, on the so. other side of that. Awesome. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's fair enough. And some great points and really awesome that both of you, I guess, are in those environments where it's promoting that. I guess any other, before we sort of move on, like ways in which um, you can motivate and continuously engage team members to sustain that high performance culture that you can think of? I think, uh, you know, one of the early early statements that, that Stacey made was about purpose and vision and mission. I don't think she used the word mission, but she was kind of talking in that space. And I, I think that's really important. Um, having having goals that, that the team can rally around and can understand, um, understand how they're contributing towards them, I think is really important. Um, one of the things that I've seen work quite well for people, and it's actually often a question that comes up um, in engagement surveys, employee engagement surveys that, that I've seen um, in a number of places I've worked is, can you link what you're doing to the organizational goals? So not, not just the goals for your team and not even just the goals for your department, but can you link it all the way up to what we're trying to achieve for customers, what we're trying to achieve in the market? Um, and I think when you can do that, when you can make that link, it actually gives people a lot of satisfaction about the work that they're doing, um, which engages them and then leads to that sort of high performance that we're talking about. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And that's a hard thing to do, isn't it? Especially mm-hmm. in big organisations and technical teams how do you you know potentially link the response to um an incident that your application services person is responding to right now in the next 45 minutes all the way back to the customers that you're in business to get great outcomes for um that's our job and we've got to remember to do it not just you know when we do an annual planning or quarterly (laughs) offsites you have to remember to do it every day so you know thank someone for doing this thing because it ties to strategy because Mm -hmm. it it propels our business forward because at the end of the day we're all one business um we're all in business for the same reason even though we have our individual teams we have different skill sets and we have our own subculture at the end of the day we're all one business and trying to constantly remind our people like you said adam how what they do day to day matters mm. to the organizations and the customers mm. is 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 challenging you got to remember to do it yeah. um but yeah certainly adds value to engagement and keeping people motivated to keep doing what they're doing because it has real value to the customers that we're in business for yeah i think i think keeping it regularly top of mind as, as you've just said is yeah is key and, and it's hard to remember because you just get you get stuck into the work and you get focused on you know the problem and the outcome um i think you're right it's it's the leadership's responsibility to draw people back to the purpose i say that but i'm thinking to myself i could do a much better job of that i'm sitting <laughs> yeah, saying it but i should do it more yeah, and more often <laughs> yeah yeah i'm seeing it a lot at the moment in the fulfillment space at Coles because uh, if things if things go wrong with fulfillment, people don't get their groceries delivered. Like it's it's quite it has a very direct impact on on outcomes for customer. Um, so it's very in my face. Yeah, so yeah. Well, it could well be right, or you oh, know, do- their dog's dinner, or yeah, or baby formula that yep. you know somebody's not getting. It has a real human impact. Yeah. I couldn't yeah. agree more. And it works most of the time. 
<laughs> That's good. Just, just, for, just for the shareholders listening. Always always room for improvement. Oh, always. Always. Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. Some really good points and completely agree with both of you there. And I think as well, like definitely recognition of, you know, sort of mentioned people who are performing well. And I think that also draws back to it too. Mm. Actually, Uh, you you talk about recognition. It costs nothing to say thank you to someone. To say, actually, I appreciate the voice that you gave to the room. I appreciate, you know, the care that you showed to your colleague, I appreciate that you just turn up every day with a positive attitude when sometimes, you know, my attitude can't be, you know, positive all the time. And um, that takes nothing. It takes no, it has to be genuine. Obviously, it can't be forced, um, but it doesn't cost anything. Doesn't cost and you, it, it adds no. so much value to the team. Definitely. Um, And sort of as well, what's more important, do you both think, in developing and maintaining high-performance teams, that trust or the purpose? I think Stacey can start with this one. (laughs) I I pose this one because both are important and we've obviously talked about purpose, vision, mission. Mm. Um, But but can you even get there without trust? Mm. But then, you know, if, if... you have trust, but you don't know where you're going. You know, what's the value of that trust? So you, obviously you need both. And I think if I were to choose one or the other, I think start with trust. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think I would always start with the relationship um, because actually sometimes in a world of ambiguity, you need your team to help build out that mission and vision and build out that purpose. Um, and you're, you're definitely gonna get a lot more engagement f- from the team if they've had a say in where they're going. Yeah. Um, but I, I would certainly start from a position of trust. I totally agree. And I think, um, you know, one of the ways I, I mentioned, I think I mentioned psychological safety earlier. And um, one of the ways that I've tried to, to foster that trust over the years is letting people get it wrong. Um, and not telling them off when they get it wrong, you know, not making an example of them, not criticizing them, but, um, demonstrating that that's fine. That's, that's how we learn, um, making mistakes is part of life and it should be part of, of the workplace as well. Um, obviously there are, you know, some professions like surgery, for example, where making a mistake is, is perhaps critical for someone's life, but generally in, in business and in, in knowledge work, which is the space that we're in, making a mistake you know, a big one might cost some money through the organization, but small ones, they, 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 they don't tend to matter. Uh, and, and giving people the space to to try things and maybe fail or to come up with something that is clearly wrong, um, but to, to not be criticized for that, to have that space um, where they can feel safe to voice their opinion or to try things on, uh, I think creates a lot of trust. Yeah, I would agree. That's something I've seen shift particularly in technology over the last 25 years, it used to be we've got to decide what we need our technology to do and what we need our teams to do up front. Mm. And then we've got to spend the next two to three years building that. Mm. And and there's been a complete shift. And in fact, even you know space shuttles don't work like that. They decide where they want to go and then you know course correct every however however long they take, but they continually course correct. They don't just set off 
and go. Um, and that's a, a real shift because sometimes you can, if you can have your team have this aha moment about it, it's okay to try and fail four or five times because mm. that's actually more value than doing nothing. Mm. Um, and you're further along than when you than when you thought you would be. Um, so that the cost of doing nothing, I think, if you can explain that to your team, that can help generate some of that um, acceptance that actually you're only ever going to learn when you're failing, not necessarily when you're shooting the lights out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's true. It's true. And I think um, something you said slightly earlier um, that is relevant there, Stacey, you talked about um, people having a say um, in, in what they're doing and how they're doing it. And um, I learned this concept of autonomous teams um, less than a decade ago, but, you know, somewhere in there. Uh, but giving teams the the space and the freedom to decide, you know, not necessarily what the problem is, because that's probably going to come from the business, um, but how they want to solve the problem, um, what sort of technology they want to use, how they want to approach the problem, um, how they want to approach the, you know, the, the roadmap for rolling that out, um, and also the, the way that they work, um, you know, kind of getting back to that engagement that leads to performance, individuals and, and teams having the ability to say, we want to work like this. Uh, these are the kinds of meetings that we want to have. Um, this is how we want to document. Um, this is how we want to approach our work. Actually gives people, I've found, gives people a lot of satisfaction about the way that they work um, and, and being in the, the team and the organisation that they're in. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And and how do you sort of, how do you do that in a way that all you're doing is putting the structure and the guardrails in place yeah, and then yeah. giving them all the tools to help them make those decisions. Um, and I, I, for one, will say I'm still learning that. Um, I, I certainly, after 25 years, I've got, I'm set in my ways of how I would do it. But you have to continually question yourself and say, look, just because I would do it that way, what is the, what is the point of having a diverse team if there's the diversity but no inclusion. We're actually not including their their ideas or including how they want to do things. So you have to have that diversity and the inclusion side of that. Yeah, I'm trying to think of a good example for you know what it looks like to set to set those guardrails. Um, I think in some of the like the larger organisations that I've worked, there have been um, what they've called sensible defaults um, in in terms of technology choices. Uh, so you know if if you need to choose a cloud platform, if you need to choose a backend technology, um, et cetera, et cetera. Here's, here's our sensible default. Here's the thing that you just use because we've done a lot of research into it. Um, we have used it for lots of other projects and pieces of work and we've proven it. We've proven that it's that it's good for what we do right. as an organization. I love that term, sensible defaults. Yeah, I can't claim it. I didn't come up yeah. with it, but yeah. I, um, I often use rules before they come norms. But that sounds a bit dictatorial, but I like sensible <laughs> defaults that yeah, are a good one. To make a choice, choose from this list. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And there and there's time, you know, there's times to go outside of that when you when you want to innovate and you want to explore and experiment and, and you should. And I love giving teams the opportunity to do that. But but sometimes um one of the other engineering leaders where I am talks about and is known for talking about boring technology. 
um, because you know surely that polls... doesn't exist. There's no such well, thing. Well, so, so his point his point is that you know Coles are not in the business of being a technology company. Um, you know we're in the business of um, feeding. Like I, I think I think our, our mission is around feeding Australians and helping them live you know happier and, and healthier lives. Um, and you know if that's what we're about exploring the, the latest and greatest bleeding edge technology is is not really part of the Coles mission. Um, but what we should be looking for is what what is the best tool for what we need to do to deliver for the organization and for the customer. And so he says, boring technology. You know, we, we have not just a sensible default, but we have a default. We have a thing that we have chosen, that we have proven, and that we have rolled out many, many, many times. So just keep doing it. If it's not broken, you know, you don't need to look at something else. Well, that's interesting because that's made me think of another question now, Adam. If if you're in this world of boring technology mm. or, you know, if you've got a team that's long-standing that really know what they're doing, how do you continue to motivate them? Like what what's next for that team? How do you create this excitement and curiosity and innovation when you've got your your boring tech? When you've got boring technology, it's a good question. <laughs> a very good question. <laughs> yeah, I think... Uh, I think two things about that. One, give them new problems to solve. Um, you know, so if, if they if they're kind of restricted in terms of of the technology that they get to use, then let's at least change the landscape from time to time and give them new things to think about uh, and new ways to apply it. That would be one way. Um, the other way would be to break the team up and move people into different areas of the business so they get to get to work on different things with different tech. Yeah, that's the age-old debate, isn't it? With high-performing teams, do you keep them together, or do you seed and hopefully get multiple high-performing yeah. teams? And you know, it's it swings aroundabouts. I've seen it work really successfully sometimes, and in other times, it it just hasn't. So, um, yeah, age-old question. I'm sure we'll keep swinging the pendulum and keep testing, keep failing, keep learning. But learning, that's but right. Keep learning. trying. Yeah, <laughs> and for all those listening, definitely keen to hear their, their thoughts as well on it. Um, just a, a great question. Thank you for that one, Stacey. And just moving back as well to like the trust point. I know in a recent podcast I did, another manager mentioned, you know, when your team, you know, has made a mistake, is sometimes actually as a leader taking the fall for them. You know, not throwing them sort of under the bus kind of creates that um, trust as well, which I think was an important point he made too. Which I yeah. completely agree. It's always we. It's always yeah. we. It's always us. It's not you or I. It's always we're always together. Yeah. Yeah. You want to create that trust. You you back your team. You protect your team. Um, you know you you represent your team when when they're under fire. Um, yeah. Otherwise, you lose them. Absolutely. I think only to say that to anyone listening, um, we're always learning no matter what position you're in, um, whether you're you know, at the very top of an organization or you're starting out. And I would encourage particularly people who are new to teams to be and to ask what you might think are silly questions and to continue um, to challenge in a respectful way um, everybody, not just you know people around you, but also people above you because... Um, we're all still learning and I certainly know that I'm still learning and I can't grow and I can't get better unless I know what I'm doing wrong or what I could be doing better. So I would encourage you all to to speak 
um, so that we can all help drive towards high performance and really inclusive cultures. Definitely. I think conversations just like this sort of, you know, that's the starting point in driving that too. Yeah, I think my my final thought would be, you know, if you've listened today and, and you've heard some of the things that Stacey said and some of the things I've said and you reflect on your own experience at, at work at the moment or, you know, the team that you're a part of, and it feels a million miles from what we're talking about because I think we've spoken about a really positive um high functioning team we've talked about high performance but but high functioning where you know people are, are considerate and and kind and they collaborate and um your leaders look out for you and the culture's really uplifting and and safe if that's not where you are i would encourage you to think about finding somewhere else to work it's you, you've got one life you've got one career uh and, and if you're stuck in a space where you don't you don't like going to work and, and you find that you're not enjoying working with the people you're working with, I just suggest you think about other options. Yeah, and it certainly sounds like um, Adam's team is an option at Coles. <laughs> I definitely love it here at Charter Hall. Both great cultures to work for. And if you are, yeah, if you are looking for a job, a shout out for myself as well. I'm working with great companies in our high performing teams. <laughs> so any one of us, <laughs> no. But thank you both so much for joining and sharing such great insights today. I think all our listeners will definitely take something from it. So thank you, Adam, and thank you, Stacey, so much. Thank you.